You're listening to Metrics and Chill, where you'll learn how to improve key metrics that grow your business from companies that have done it before. In this episode, I got to talk with Asia Orangio, CEO and founder of Demand Maven, to learn how she helped a client 10x monthly recurring revenue. You'll learn how she improved activation and acquisition by interviewing customers, overhauling design and messaging on the website, getting users to realize value faster, and a ton more. Enjoy the interview. Asia, thank you so much for coming on Metrics and Chill. Uh, I'm really excited to chat with you. Uh, both about Demand Maven and also how you're growing MRR for clients. So thank you so much for being willing to come on. And uh, yeah, like I said, off mic, it's an honor to meet you. Yeah, likewise. I'm super pumped to chat all the things. So yes. Awesome. Uh, Okay, so the the way we start the show typically, can you give like the 30-second elevator pitch for Demand Maven? Yes. Okay, so Demand Maven is a growth consultancy. We work with early stage and growth stage SaaS companies, software companies, and internet-based companies on doing one of three things and sometimes all three of these things. But we help them with going to market uh, either for the very first time or in new markets. We help them with troubleshooting growth and then also finding growth opportunities. Uh, We really are, we come from a SaaS and software background and we're really passionate about early stage companies. Um, When we say early stage, we we really mean less than 25 million in ARR. Uh, And then of course, um, there are some clients that we work with that have zero MRR. So very, very early stage as you can imagine. But yeah, that's what we do. We we come in, we, we support founders and their teams with the customer insights that they need to make infinitely better strategic decisions and growth decisions. And then sometimes we even actually help them execute it. Um, but yeah, it's quite a lot, but it's a lot of fun. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to dig into, uh, I mean, obviously today we're going to be talking about a use case of how you uh, 10x MRR for one client in particular and kind of talk about some of that. Um, and obviously we'll probably go down a bunch of, I typically go down like a bunch of rabbit holes, uh, where I'm curious to explore. And I, I think all the areas you play in are like of high interest to me. So I'm, I'm looking forward to digging in. Um, so let's start here. What are some of the, when you bring clients in is, are the metrics or KPIs that you track for them that you're trying to kind of move the needle on? Are they different than client by client, depending on what they're looking for? Or do you have like a common set that you typically like, Hey, even if they didn't ask for a conversion, you know, rate improvement or something like that, we're still going to track that. Um, what, what does that look like for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it really is more dependent on the stage of growth that they're at. And also, to what degree has marketing as a function been established? Because if marketing as a function has been pretty well established, then they likely already have KPIs that they're looking at, things that they're already tracking. And really what we're coming in and we're doing is we're, um, we're really understanding those KPIs. And there's things that, of course, that we look at, which I'm happy to you know chat through, of course. Um, but if marketing is not relatively established, we're kind of starting from ground zero in a way. And I would say from like a typical... What does demand maven look at when we first start working with a company? We're starting with just general business performance. So um, how much, uh, how many trials or demos are they getting every single month, month over month? How many of those convert into sales slash uh, either product qualified leads or like just actual trial conversions? Then we go into what is the average lifetime value of a customer, the average contract value of any sales deals, uh, and then churn slash retention. Uh, and if it's possible to look at what the upsell, success, uh, cross-sell opportunities are, some some teams do or some products do have this as an opportunity uh, to like actually measure and to see, and some don't. It just really obviously it depends on the product. But we do also look at what percentage of deals or um, uh, customers actually upsell and grow into larger paying accounts. That's the baseline that we look at. This does us, this does a couple of things for us. It just lets us know where is the company at in terms of performance. Usually for very, very early stage companies, we see low amounts of trials, low amounts of demos. Sometimes they have healthy conversion rates into paying customers, whether that's a healthy sales close rate or a trial to paid conversion rate. Sometimes they don't, however. And the biggest opportunity in addition to acquisition is also equally activation. Um, we also take a look, uh, I- ideally, at revenue churn more so than user churn. Revenue churn, it just it's a more um, critical churn KPI to us. Uh, but from there, it's how is churn looking? Nine times out of ten, it's healthy, it's okay. And really, a lot of what our clients struggle with are the the first two. It's activation 
um, acquisition. And then sometimes actually the model itself, sometimes they have a lot of questions around like, what should we be charging? Um, what is the ideal model based off of our ideal paying customer? So sometimes we get a little bit into that as well. Um, but primarily, I would say a lot of our clients struggle with acquisition and activation. There's That's the baseline. From a marketing perspective, we always start with the basics. How much traffic are we getting? How much of that's converting into uh, trials slash demo requests? And what does the conversion rate of that look like? If they have paid acquisition channels, if they have other channels that they are actively investing in, we also take a look at performance of each of those channels individually. So every website is going to get direct traffic and organic search traffic to an extent. We look at performance for each of those and then also performance for uh, paid acquisition if they're doing Google ads, Facebook ads, like whatever that is. And we get a sense for what does the cost per lead look like? What does, um, uh, what do overall conversion rates look like? And then, uh, and then based off of what it is, what we're doing, we'll do a few audits and take a look at, okay, are there opportunities here or is it a channel that we need to roll out later and, and get a sense for that. And that's where we start. Dang, this is, <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm like, uh, okay, so um, so you'll come in if, if effectively, if the marketing team um, has a bunch of KPIs they're already tracking, they can kind of, you'll ask these questions and they'll say, yep, here's the health at each stage of the funnel or whatever it is. Um, you'll kind of evaluate if they don't have anything going, like at their very early stage and they have like zero signups or, you know, only a few hundred or whatever, um, you'll kind of help them set all this up and help them define it uniquely for them. Like this is what an SQL should be if they're sales led or something like that. Um, and you'll kind of help establish that. Do you, do you have an idea from all the clients you work with, um, of benchmarks that will give you an idea of like, if someone's high or low, like what, like what are, what helps inform that being a trigger when someone comes in, you're like, Ooh, that conversion rate seems low or like, ah, that traffic seems really high. Yeah. Okay. So excellent question. It, um, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you benchmarks based off of SAS model and a little bit of sales led as well. I, but for anyone listening, these are truly just benchmarks. They are not necessarily a hard and fast rules. Um, but generally speaking, when we think about SAS efficiency, the unit of economics for a SAS company is obviously the product. So, um, the product has to perform in a particular way for us to actually see, uh, just positive res revenue growth. And then of course, profitability in a company. But all that to say, okay, yes. Um, so for a uh, for a free trial to, you know, you've got like a 14-day free trial or 30-day free trial. So if we're looking at self-serve uh, SaaS performance, we are we are looking for traditionally between 30 to 40% of a free trial conversion rate. Um, this is specifically from the moment that the user gets access to the product to when they become a paying customer. That should be in the 30 to 40% range. If it's less than that, it's possible that there's some inefficiency here um, but sometimes it's just the way that the product is actually tracking it like from a technical perspective so that's kind of where we've got to like there's probably a true number and like it, profit well or whatever it is that you're using to like measure this might not know um exactly like t at what stage do we actually start tracking that particular kpi but anyway i digress um then we start looking at uh, uh retention we're looking for less than five percent revenue churn if it's a little bit more than that, like six to seven, it again, there's probably some slight inefficiency here. There's probably some customers that are churning that are actually great fit customers and something happened that, you know, enabled us to lose them in whatever way. Um, so usually there's some inefficiency there sometimes, but other times it's just we are actually struggling on the product market fit side and this needs to be adjusted. Anything over 8% revenue churn is a what we would consider to be a red flag. Definitely um, not necessarily like we wouldn't work with this company, just a, hey, churn is a huge challenge. It's probably product market fit. We got to like do some research on this. We got to like understand this. In terms of traffic and trials, um, there's no like volume really that we look for that indicates to us health. It's really all about conversion rate because the assumption is that these volumes will grow over time anyway. Sure. But I will say um, when it comes to traffic, we we can tell that a company um like usually if there's some kind of marketing activity we're looking at anywhere from 15k new users to the websites uh, specifically like site visits um new users like in google analytics speak um, not like new signups uh but new users google analytics 
And like 15K plus is like, oh, like they're probably investing in some kind of traffic building, some like they've probably got SEO going on or something to that effect. If it's less than 10K, nothing to be ashamed of. A lot of the clients that we work with have like 2K site visits a month, like really small. Uh, and really the, the, the pressure now becomes, really becomes all about how do we grow as much qualified traffic as possible, as fast as possible within budget, scope, time, et cetera. That's free trial. Sales led is actually pretty similar. So we are looking at a, we're really looking at a 20 to 30%. So we can go a little bit lower on the sales side, um, but 20 to 30% close rate on qualified opportunities when we book demos. Uh, so ideally, out of all of the qualified demos that you get, you should be closing 20 to 30% of them. And then retention and revenue churn are going to look the same. Typically with sales led companies, they're going to be selling annual deals. So we also look at Hopefully they've been around for long enough to actually know this number, but usually revenue churn is an unknown in the early days because they just don't know. They like sold these annual deals. They don't know who's going to retain. But um, this is where NPS and customer success KPIs actually become really critical. So if they're not tracking NPS, we usually encourage that they start because that's going to tell them who's going to renew and who's not way before renewal date comes up. And then for freemium, so with freemium, we're going to see a much smaller percentage of people who convert into paying customers. It's usually around 3%. So it's like that 2 to 3%, sometimes even 4%. Um, I've not seen much more than 4% conversion rate. Uh, on the free trial side, I've seen, I've seen some products convert as high as 60%. Like it, there's, not really, there's not really a ceiling here, which is what I encourage a lot of companies to be thinking about. Mm. Um, most companies kind of, they get to like 30% and then they're happy and they're comfy. And I'm like, no, you could, you could possibly double this. Like it's very likely, it's very possible. Um, it requires incredible marketing and product and just like a very well-oiled machine, operationally speaking, but it is very possible. And then revenue churn relatively stays the same. We try not to accept a whole lot of revenue churn um, if we can help it. There are some companies that do have built-in churn. The way that we, of course, mitigate that is by dreaming up some cross-sell and upsell opportunities, but probably a whole nother podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, this is incredible. This is like, listeners are going to love this. Uh, this is so awesome. Thank you for sharing all that. Um, I'm curious. I have a question I want to ask. Uh, I'm a little afraid that it's going to like uh, jump the gun and cut into some of the levers that you pulled, but I'll do it at a risk of that. Uh, cause I'm just, this one, especially for product led growth companies, the revenue churn seems like an especially difficult problem to identify because if it's like true product led growth, you're often not talking to them when they're coming in. You're not talking to them when they leave. I mean, maybe there's like an exit survey of like, what could we have done better? But I find those are pretty vague. Um, you know, and, um, so what are what are some of the ways that you help companies think through that? Like I, we have a lot of SaaS listeners. I'd be curious, like, um, yeah, what are some of the ways that on a true product-led growth company, you're able to get at that problem a little bit? Uh, the problem of why um, people yeah, are churning? Yeah, like why people are churning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, specifically with like product-led growth where, you know, like I said, like it, I know some companies try and do like, uh, what could we have done to make it better or whatever? And they give you like four options to tick off, but it's like the real story is probably so much more nuanced than that. Like it feels like you could be getting at like, were they never a good fit to begin with? Did they only have one problem, but your product tries to sell, solve four problems and they just weren't ready to you know pay the price point. Like how do you, how do you dig up some of those nuances to help yeah. lower that number? Okay. So the way that we identify, yes, um, so you brought up a number of excellent points. When customers churn, there's, there's, there's two very big factors that you really have to take into consideration. The first is, were they a good fit anyway? So did we, did we, did we accidentally acquire a customer and like, you know, go through all that effort to acquire a customer who wasn't the greatest fit in the first place? Um, that's question one. And then question two is, what ultimately was it? Uh, but really, really, what really that question is, is um, it's all about value. So when did the customer stop getting value and decided that this was no longer worth paying for because we weren't getting the value? And so there's a question of fit and value. That's really what we're looking at whenever it comes to canceled customers or, or customers who decide to churn. And the way that we find out is... Uh, both challenging and at the same exact time, very straightforward. <laughs> uh, so of course it's not super easy, but it is straightforward. Um, you like you have to talk to customers who, of course, churn. And there's talking to customers uh, also before they churn. 
and um, usually there's so in customer in the customer success world, so if you were to imagine building out a customer success team or you have a customer success team, usually customer success, um, uh, they actually have like alerts and indicators of when someone is likely to churn. And indicators of likeliness of or likelihood of churning usually has to do with behavior and inactivity. Um, there are some products that have like natural built-in inactivity in them, but there's definitely a certain amount of inactivity that is concerning. And... Uh, there's a way to do automated outreach when customers maybe haven't logged in for a super long time or they're they're no longer doing the things that they typically would do. We can actually outreach to them before they churn, which is a little bit easier, and get a sense for, okay, what's going on? Is there anything that's preventing you from getting value today? Um, and you don't, you don't want to, like, you don't want to totally assume you want to keep it open because they might actually be okay, but it's just like, you know, like the timing or whatever, like sure. they're humans, life happens. Um but you keep it open, but you, of course, want to understand, hey, like what drove you to getting this product in the first place? Like what drove you to sign up? What were you hoping it was going to help you accomplish? Is it helping you accomplish those things today? Um, if not, why not? And if so, that's amazing. What are some of the things that it doesn't do that you wish that it did? And then you kind of get into new future value. Um, but the goal is to understand, like, are they getting the value? And if not, um, are they a great fit in the first place? And you can usually, if you're asking the right kinds of questions, you can absolutely uh, understand based off of what drove them to the product in the first place, like, oh, like they might have a totally way off base use case that you just don't fulfill and doesn't really matter any, in any way because you're probably not going to move into that use case anytime soon or doesn't make financial sense for you to. And then other times they had like they're they have the right setup. They've got the right use cases and needs and triggers for needing your product. But there's something that's missing. It could be maybe the sale like the support side hasn't been as up to par as they've needed. Maybe it's also they don't know actually how to get value out of the product because product marketing hasn't been really well established or it's not as strong as it could be. We're not educating the customer enough about how to use the product in a way that actually gives them value. Like there's so many gaps that could actually happen here. And ideally you're talking to people before they churn and then also after they churn. Super hard of course to do because once customers churn, it's just like really hard to get them engaged again. But there are absolutely win back campaigns that you can run for this and not just to win the customer back, but also to get them to chat with you because you wanna understand like what happened. Um, but anyway, that's the, like, really, it's all about fit and value. So were they a good fit? And where did the value stop happening for them? I love this. I love the breakdown of fit and value. Um, I love the simple framing of it that way. It's really uh, helpful to understand conceptually. I'm curious, uh, you don't have to have like an exact percentage or whatever, but just like anecdotally, do you have an idea of it, what the clients you work with is it like kind of 50-50 that you see, like just they're driving the wrong fit traffic versus like people aren't identifying value within the product, whether that's like a lack of features or they're unaware it can do certain things it can do? Or do you find like it heavily skews with the clients you work with, like the bulk of it is is bad fit or the bulk of it is, is a value problem? <laughs> uh the bulk of it for early stage companies. So again, we're going to say, I'm going to say actually very early stage. So like less than a million, less than 5 million. ARR. Uh, so very early stage, usually it's trying to be everything to everyone. And that's really fit. It comes down to fit. Oh, like we, and sometimes it's unintentional, especially with product led, because you really don't know at the end of the day, like who you're going to get until they obviously sign up and they do sure. the thing. But if you have incredible uh, marketing, product marketing, and also very clear product experiences, usually not great fit customers never become customers in the first place because once they get in that trial, they start using it and they kind of realize, oh, this is not for me. They never really enter into your funnel like or, or show up in your metrics down the line anyway, and it's okay. Um, but ideally that happens as, you know, as infrequently as possible. And our marketing on the website and the experiences and the emails that we send to make it abundantly clear, like, oh, this is who it's actually for. Um, but all that to say, nine times, I would say it's like an overwhelming amount of not the right fit. Not only do most teams not really actually know who their best fit paying customers are, but then also they don't really know what a not great uh, anti-persona mm. looks like either. And when you have very clear anti-personas, um, you're, you're likely also going to have a very clear, like, yes, like this is the ideal target market. This is the ICP. Um, something that I, I 
forget about strategy and then I remember about strategy all the time again like I'm reminded constantly of this but strategy and the process of making strategic choices is actually about trade-offs it's about what you're gonna do and then therefore what you're not gonna do and the same is true when it comes to focusing on on like your go-to market strategy what part of the market do we focus on and then who therefore do we not focus on who are we not catering to once we get into growth stage companies, this is where it can be 50-50 slash be about value, where there's very clear product opportunities and innovation to be created in a, in a particular marketplace. But um, internally speaking, there might not be a great process for innovation, for product innovation. And so what ends up happening is customers, they come to the product for a very specific jobs to be done, which we're definitely going to talk about. Um, but they come to the product for a specific job, which basically just means that they want to make specific value. They, they want to achieve an outcome in their lives by hiring this product or hiring this solution. And once they have that need met, usually their job evolves and they acquire, they suddenly develop new jobs and now they have new things that they want to do. And usually that looks like, um, uh, like you're, you know, the customer, they come, they become a customer and then they go to support and they're like, by the way, like, can it do this, this and this and this? Or they right. ask success and they're like, hey, like, it'd be really great if you guys could like add invoicing or like add this. And it creates kind of a conundrum sometimes because a customer might ask for a specific feature, but it's not clear what the job is. And so teams assume that they've got to go build the feature, but they don't actually ever take a step back and understand, but wait, what was the actual job? That, like, what was the progress they were trying to make in the first place? This actually leaves a very big gap from a product innovation perspective, because it, you kind of assume that like, oh, by adding all these new features, we're going to get more money. And sometimes that's true. And sometimes it's like super not. <laughs> and you like, like you actually miss out on opportunities of customers might have been asking for this specific thing, but really they were asking for this job to be completed. Right. And that's sometimes what drives churn because the customer doesn't know. And this is also why we don't depend on customers to tell us what to build. But generally speaking, once a customer has that job completed and and other competitors or other rivals don't complete that job better than how your product completes it, then you're going to keep that customer. But as soon as competitors or rivals complete that job better, different, better, special than how your product does that can cause a shift in addition to solving other jobs that the customer might have had. So this is kind of where it's a 50-50. Sometimes it is still very much fit, but sometimes it is also very clearly value. And uh, there has to be a powerful product innovation process here. There also has to be a very powerful way for customer insight to actually drive how we think about growth. And the actual secret sauce to growth is really, it's actually not acquisition, which many people are like so surprised by, especially in the early days. Um, it's actually activation, retention, and upsell and cross-sell, so expansion revenue. Uh, and if we never get expansion revenue, then eventually customers are going to churn just by default. Right. Because the job will like, some other competitor will likely come in, solve the job, different, better, special than how we're doing it, and we don't solve any other jobs. And... Thank you for coming to my TED talk for a bit. It was like a really long tirade about that. But yes, <laughs> um, I just I like I, I just get so passionate about talking about the retention and the expansion piece because it is such an overlooked opportunity. Um, yes, the number one challenge for most early stage companies is acquisition and activation. And as a growth consultancy, we're delighted to help with that problem. However, we're also like like just priming the pump for, hey, don't forget about expansion and retention because that's actually where growth is really going to come from. Yeah, I, I love the way you're framing this as customers are requesting when they think that they're requesting features. Because what I've also found is like, um, people are so much more savvy that are requesting these things than they used to be. Like they use like industry jargon. They're like, oh yeah, I think you can improve the UX or UI over here. Or like this feature needs to be added. And it would be super easy for a product team to be like, oh, they're requesting a feature. Like they're, you know, even like the roadmap, like things that they can self-submit is like feature requests. Um, but like you say, framing it as like, what's the job you're looking to have done? Like, what's the problem that you're looking to solve? Because there might be five ways to go about this. And, you know, like, we're not just going to like build the thing that we get a bunch of upvotes for necessarily. Like there's multiple ways to solve this. Maybe the product even kind of solves it already um, that they could do a better job of pointing them towards. So, all right. Uh, I could get distracted and go down so many rabbit holes with you. This has been, <laughs> this is already like one of my favorite conversations I've ever had. Um, Okay, let's focus on the customer that you 
we'll take this one use case. You, uh, I'll, I'll skip to the punchline. You 10x MRR for this customer. So, can you walk me through? Um, so they come to you. Where do you start? Let's start there. Like, where do you start? And then we'll kind of go through some of like the levers that you pulled, or like the kind of the story that that you had there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So this company, um, I actually debated like saying the name. Uh, I I can I can share more of the story if I don't share who it who it's about. Um, Perfect. This is actually it's not like a like a big famous company at least it's like Google. in the SaaS world. It's oh yeah, it's definitely Google. <laughs> no, um, but it's. Uh, it's it's famous in their industry and as a strategist and a consultant i get so protective of clients because i just know how hard it is to like you know like to to get any you know to get any market share in a market it's like so hard so but anyway uh, i can share a little bit more if i don't share who it's about um but there is a vacation rental software company in the vacation rental software space so if you can imagine a platform that enables um, think like Airbnb property managers, um, so a, a company like a property management company that has like a bunch of properties. They list on Airbnb and VRBO, Booking.com, et cetera. And they need a platform to manage all of those properties, uh, not just managing the properties, but they've got to like manage the channels that they use, manage booking rates. And they've got to like sync all those prices to like Airbnb and Booking.com and blah, blah, blah. And there's a bunch of uh, other aspects, too, of course, of property management. But this particular company, uh, so they're a software company, Vacation Rental Software. They came to me <laughs> at the beginning of 2020. And the Vacation Rental Software, as, uh, like, as a platform in a market, um, it, this company sells to property managers that run um, big, small property management companies. And those property management companies depend on travel as an industry. Uh, so if you're like booking up Airbnbs and booking up like, you know, really cool places that you find on VRBO, there is some property management company behind that. And there's probably some software that they're using to manage it. Uh, so that's the context. And this was at the beginning of 2020 and this was like February, 2020 that they came on as a client. And then uh, as we all know, there was a panorama that happened. There was a pandemonium, um, an absolute phenomenon. Uh, and when that panorama happened, uh, there was of course, like, not all planes grounded, but travel basically stopped, which meant that these property management companies suddenly weren't seeing as much revenue, which meant that they were cutting, like they're cutting their losses. So they're cutting software. And my client, um, we didn't know that this was going to happen when we first started working together. They came to me uh, uh, basically like, hey, we're growing and it's awesome. But we want to, of course, grow faster, grow more, and we need help. And it was like, absolutely sounds like a project we would take on. And then like two months in, the panorama happens. <laughs> and uh, we see like ungodly churn. Like it was like, it was so much churn, like all at once. It wasn't like, it wasn't like uh, like 90% churn, but it was enough that the CEO and, and co-founders were deeply concerned. And it basically became about how do we survive? Mm. And not just how do we survive, but I, I really commend the CEO for his mindset about this. But he was like, okay, like he, I don't know if he's ever been through this before. I should actually ask him about this. I don't know if he, if he's ever like experienced this, um, where there's like a, a global event and suddenly it impacts like your specific industry. Um, but he really hunkered down and was like, we're going to focus on survival, but we're also going to plant seeds for growth. And that takes a very special kind of human because most people, I am definitely one of these people. I'm susceptible to this. Um, when something big, hairy, scary happens, I like, we shut down, right? Mm -hmm. We like cut and then we layoffs and we, you know, like, you know, things happen. We hunker down. We try to, we, we try to preserve and just, you know, stay in one place and, you know, hope that it all goes away. <laughs> But I commend him for for saying, you know what? We hired you. We're we're going to keep this process going. We're going to focus on growth. And I said, okay. So where we started, uh, we started uh, this company at the time. So yes, like we we've ten xed over two years. The very first sprint of us working together, we forexed, and then and then we paused our project for a while, and then they came back like three months later, and then we we did another like six X basically. So, um, if you can imagine through the, the pandemonium year of 2020 and then, uh, a little bit into 2021 and then pause and then came back 2021 and then into 2022, which is obviously this year. Um, 
But yeah, wow. I'll pause there. <laughs> so you, so you four X like in 2020, like in the middle of everything going on. We did. And, and I, I mean, I, I'm not, I can't, like, I definitely can't take all of the credit for all of this 10 X. Uh, there were very specific strategic, um, seeds that we planted that paid off very, very well. Uh, but, but it was a full team effort. Like it was everyone at the company. It definitely wasn't just the work that we did. Although I will say like we, um, we influenced a very particular pe- like a specific piece of it. And even now, like as we, as we continue to work with this company, uh, it's, it's interesting because there's definitely some projects that we're still working on even now. Like it's like, it's taken to like, even we've made iterations on them, I should say, um, which growth as we're going to talk about is a truly iterative process. It's never just like a throw it out there and, you know, maybe it'll pay off. Maybe it won't like you have to come back to it. And, Mm. um, there's, there's challenges even now that we're coming back to over and over again, and we're iterating off of them, learning, getting insight, and then informing the next experimentation round. So, um, so I will say it's definitely a continual process and definitely not just us by ourselves. Uh, it, it, it took literally a, a team Herculean effort <laughs> to recuperate the losses, but then also come back super strong and then actually blow past a lot of competitors. Like it, it was, it was pretty powerful stuff. That's awesome. It's amazing to hear. Um, and I agree. It's kind of like the, inve- the growth mindset and investing in growth in, in that industry in that year is almost like buying the dip. It's like, look, everyone else is going to be pausing growth and like, you know, going like regressing. If we can grow, we're going to like way pull ahead of competitors, but it's, it's really risky because it feels like you're spending your last burn, like hoping you'll kind of like break orbit and like come out. Okay. On the other end. So, um, yeah, I, this is incredible. So what were, what were, I don't know how you best think to like get into some of the practicals. Like what were some of the, I guess there's two ways I could ask and I'll let you pick. Um, what were some of the levers that you pulled to drive this or when you came in, like, where did you start? Was it on the acquisition side? Was it on the conversion improvement side? Was it on the retention side? Where, where did you get started or however you want to, whichever way you uh, prefer tackling it? Yeah. Okay. Excellent question. Um, so <laughs> the actual answer is that we, we actually looked at every single aspect. So acquisition, uh, activation and retention. And then from like a demand maven to the client perspective, we divided and conquered. Um, the client, so the vacation rental software company, the CEO, uh, he and his team really focused on retention because they wanted to mitigate churn as much as possible. So what they did was they really focused on keeping customers and instead of canceling or churning customers out, they would pause payments in addition to offer discounts on the upsell for 2021. So we're kind of betting that like this isn't going to last forever, at least hopefully. And then spoiler alert, felt like it kind of did. <laughs> but we were, you know, we're kind of betting like, okay, the panorama is not going to happen for too, too long. Um, or at least it, 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 it can't possibly last more than a year. <laughs> um, but it was a bet that we were willing to make. And so CEO really focused on retention and really he's focusing on um, minimizing loss. So that looked, the, like, that looked like yeah. proactively saying, hey, we know this is a sketchy time. So this budget might be tight for some of you. Instead of canceling and losing all your historic data and whatever, like we'll be, we're offering this ability to pause the account. We'll pause payments. You can pick up when you're ready. And then on the flip side, hey, if things are going okay for you and you want to upgrade, you can save 30% or whatever by like buying the annual plan for 2021 or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, and this is like a proactive customer outreach. It's like one-to-one conversations, calls. Like it's like a all hands on deck, code red. Like we gotta like talk to some customers. Got it. Okay. So that was that was that was instantaneously. Like that was like as soon as we started seeing all this come through. Like that was the, that was project number one. And I wasn't really a part of it. It was more of like a like like a what do we do? And um, that was like the most obvious project to start with. Mm. The second uh, projects on the activation and the uh, acquisition sides were primarily driven through, okay, we're, we are seeing some massive churn. Um, that also means, though, that the market is probably scared. And when we first started our work with this company, my, my, like, part of our process is always to start with customer research anyway. And when we start with customer research, we are trying to understand what I was talking about earlier, which is that job. 
Like what is the jobs to be done? What is the job that customers are hiring this product for? And we were kicking off this part of the process. Uh, and then of course, as things started to change and pivot a little bit, we realized that we needed to adjust our approach. And uh, the thing about big global events or events in any kind of market, it doesn't even have to be like a big global event. It could be something as small as a massive like behemoth software company going away or like it could be it could be anything really but when there are market events that happen no matter how big or small the customers change the market changes people's perspectives and opinions and needs and wants and desires hopes dreams all change they shift and uh i dialed in very quickly into okay we didn't really have a whole lot of insight into how things were changing at least in the beginning but we definitely knew that we needed to get on the call, like get on the phone with customers now because like what is their life like right now and what's actually going on? And when we went through that process, we realized that public opinion of about like what was happening and what was going on and also how they think about a software like this vacation rental software platform, their perspectives changed. And I think at the beginning of our work, we really touted value props. Like we really prided ourselves on, I'm saying we, I'm like including myself in this, but uh <laughs> We prided ourselves in the reliability of the product. It wasn't going to give you double bookings, unlike other competitors. It was also a way better value from like a pricing perspective. Like there were just certain things about the product that um, there were value props that we focused on. But after going through this customer research process, after all of these things are happening, these global events, uh, we realized that the gap actually was that customers didn't really care about quality anymore because they're not getting customers <laughs> like like they're like our our clients right. customers aren't getting customers so it's like um like if travel is stopping then our like our you know the customers don't care about reliability because no one's booking anything so then it really became a story about um uh, it became less about oh you know no double bookings and it became far more about uh yes reliability but also just like this is a product that is actually going to work with you, help you grow. Um, and also it's not going to be something that is just going to like cut you off if you can't pay for a month. And there were other aspects too of positioning. I have my notes pulled up here. Just want to make sure I get, I mention. Oh yes. Okay. So yes, customers were also like, they did ultimately care about quality, uh, but it was no longer about quality in the same way. They really cared about innovative features, things that they hadn't considered before. And they really wanted, uh, they wanted something that was gonna help them, of, co of course, stay afloat, but then also they wanted something that was actually going to help tackle other aspects of life that was causing them stress. Uh, mm, things like okay. requesting a security deposit or things like taking payment from a customer who wants to book direct. Like, And there was also a, um, a, a huge emphasis after doing this research that uh, customers wanted to be able to not have to rely as much on on channels like Airbnb and VRBO. They wanted to book direct and they wanted like a direct booking engine, for example. So these are just like aspects of the product that I'm mentioning and out of context probably makes zero sense. But But what was important was after going through this research, we realized that, oh, there's actually different aspects of the product that we should be focusing on. The value props have changed. Our messaging now needs to change. And uh, we basically like need to overhaul the website. <laughs> and you can imagine how these insights translate immediately into what to go do now. We did a little bit of work on the Google ad side. Um, there is someone who on the team owned, like on the on the client side, they uh, they actually owned paid acquisition. And really, we worked a little bit with their lead on uh, adjusting copy and okay. also running running particular running particular changes. There were also some website adjustments that we needed to make, and um, everything from like the sign up flow to the pricing page and the the messaging on the home page. So we went through several iterations of copy on on the website itself. There was also going through this research process, we also heard like customers literally told us that they weren't choosing us because the marketing wasn't as pretty, which was oh, really, wow. 
which was like, oh. <laughs> like, how how just, would they word that out of curiosity? Were they like, uh, you guys just don't look as professional or you don't look as good? Like, what was the wording? I'm just like really curious about really that. Really curious? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's it's literally that. Like, um, one person, I think verbatim said, yeah, I just didn't choose you guys because you just didn't like you just didn't look as cool as some of the other guys on like in the market. And it was but like the looking as cool is specifically, oh, the design isn't as pretty. Like, that's literally all it is. It's so funny you you bring this up because this is something I was talking about. Um, I was talking about with someone. And I was saying like, from a brand perspective, this is something I one thousand percent believe in, but without data. Like I've just reverse engineered my own behavior, and I'm like, if it's down to just features and price, and they're almost comparable, but one site looks like it was built in two thousand, you know, fifteen or two thousand ten, and one looks like modern, sleek design, or whatever. There's this like inherent assumption that 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 the better branded one is just like a better built product or newer or more in touch with what I need. It just instills more trust. So anyway, it's just, it's fascinating to hear you uh, say, say this, like that you found this was a, a case. A hundred percent, especially with other competitors out there in the market that looked shinier, prettier, more professional looking, or just more like with the times. And looking back, the website that we had at the time was not, it just wasn't up to muster. There were a lot of other lookalike products too. Like you really couldn't tell the difference between our website versus like three of the other competitors. And that, that launched a, got to overhaul the design. And we chose, we went very bold we chose um, like a darker website as opposed to like a light white, you know, mostly yeah. everyone's yeah. doing this. You went and did that. Totally took like a total, like, yeah, completely different angle. And um, something as small as that has like a huge psychological effect on buyers. We automatically stand out. You notice our website, you notice our experience and you're going to remember it. And um, on top of that, we adjusted the value props quite a bit um, from version one. I think before, I can't even remember actually like exactly what, yeah, I think we focused on like, oh, it's easy and like you could connect with everything and like it's so easy to switch. And then it became all about, hey, this is a platform that actually helps you grow. You're going to be able to um, like, like we do have flexible pricing. We know it's a tough time right now. And also, yes, it's reliable and like all the other great stuff that you, that you probably would care about if you had more, you know, booking travel going on. Um, but we just, we completely shifted the value props. And that, I mean, that plus some adjustments to paid acquisition, um, paid got quite cheap actually during this time, if I'm not mistaken, I could be misremembering. And uh, I want to say too that we, I, we, we didn't really adjust anything like on the sales side because sales really, um, they kind of like, they were, they were pretty good, I would say. Uh, but those, those things alone I mean, it was like, it wasn't an overnight thing, but it was definitely a month over month. We were seeing the climb of how many new trials we were actually getting through the door. And um, there's definitely like, like you see like the ramp of growth and then you start seeing like the, oh, this is really cool. It's like taking off. Um, that was definitely the first part of it. There were some other things that we did as well that I'll definitely break down. Yeah, would love to. Okay, I'm gonna. I want to make sure I give you time for that because we're gonna. We've got like 15 minutes or a little bit less. Uh, so <laughs> I want to make sure I give you time. Ask a couple quick questions. So, just to clarify. Um, okay, so so this hits. You you've started working with them. Um, pandemic hits, and out of acquisition, activation, retention. CEO and the team dive into retention. They kind of have this like let's plug the leaks uh, mentality and plan. Um, they're focusing on giving discounts, pausing payments, uh, reassuring customers that like they've got their back, they're, they're going to be there. Um, you're focused on acquisition activation. Um, and so where that began or, or the bulk or the first half, whatever percentage it was uh, of the work consisted of, you're still going to go through the method, you're talking to customers and what you're learning is the messaging that was working and maybe got them to where they were or made them, you know, a, a, a leader in the space was, um, we're more reliable, we're, we're the better built product, we're easier to use, look at all these things that we integrate, we have all these bells and whistles. And what you realized was there's kind of two, I'm hearing like two messaging shifts. One is, I'm looking at my notes, that's why I'm good. Uh, one messaging shift was, um, we've got your back and we're gonna do right by you, whatever this looks like. And we're the, so the kind of this reassurance arm of messaging saying like, we're the brand that's in your corner. Um, and then you've got this other one that like, uh, 
as people are looking, it sounds like as they're looking to tighten their wallets and making evaluations, you're also saying, hey, we're also going to try and solve other problems that you have so we can be more of like an all-in-one solution. So we're not just going to like be the thing you knew us as, but like, hey, isn't taking payments a pain or isn't, you know, booking direct on your website a pain or like whatever. You're beginning to highlight either things that did or rolling out new features of saying like, we're going to innovate. So we're in your corner. We're going to do right by you and we're going to innovate and launch these new things um, that are going to be like a better all-in-one solution. And so the messaging is going from like easy to use um, and reliable to like, we're actually going to help you grow. Like we're going to get through this time and we're going to help you grow and come out profitable on the other side. Um, and And that sounds like the core thing. And then you basically took that and from those insights, you overhauled messaging, um, positioning and messaging. Um, you redid the design of the site to stand out even further um, and to visually set yourselves apart and to look as pro or as premium as some of the competitors. Um, you took that messaging and copy and positioning to update Google ads. So you're not running the same old messaging. You're going to take that to Google ads. You're maybe investing a bit more in Google ads because other competitors have pulled out and they're tightening their wallets. Um, so you, you bought the dip in Google ads. Um, <laughs> and then um, I think that's all I have. Okay. So is that a fair summary of like that first chunk? Yes. The first part one. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Uh, take us to part two. <laughs> okay. So part two uh, looked like things with 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 you know the pandemonium are kind of coming back online travel starts to happen and that the market the industry it adjusts so customers are actually coming back in full force because you know ceo did such a great job with retaining customers um when they came back full force they're coming back to like their full paying rate in 2021 and and that obviously makes mrr and cash you know do what it does and then the other thing we're noticing is we're getting a bunch of these uh, trials, but they're not activating at the rate that we need them to. And so activation became the next very big focus in addition to awareness building. Uh, because as travel starts coming back, we're kind of like, okay, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. So there were a couple of strategic bets and then also tests, things that we weren't really sure if it was going to work and then things that we knew for certain that was going to work. Um, so they... Uh, hired an SEO agency to help with building out organic traffic before. So before we like took our little break, um, cause there was like a three to six month window that, um, we like took a break and then they came, they came back, which is pretty cool. Um, but during that window, I set them up with content marketing and also SEO and, um, they found an SEO agency and over like a three to six month period, they started building up traffic. So organic search is increasing 10% month over month, which is very, very healthy and like the dream, honestly. It's very hard to do um, once you hit a certain amount of scale. But in the early days, it's great, usually pretty easy. So 10% month over month growth. And we're still seeing these numbers climb, which is great. Um, But it really became all about how do we grow traffic in addition to convert more trials without necessarily more marketing. One of the tests or experiments that we ran on the activation and onboarding side uh, I cannot tell you how many times we have redone onboarding emails. And also, same thing for sign-up flow. The sign-up flow in particular is something that we spent a lot of effort strategizing around, planning around. And one of the biggest challenges with this particular product was they were requiring um, they were requiring people to to take specific steps, like like um like they'd have to connect like their booking.com account or like their Airbnb account or whatever. And they would require this before you ever even got into the product, which is kind of odd. Like, cause it's like a, like you haven't delivered value yet. So like what the heck? Oh, um, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. So like, imagine like you're like, you've completed a form and now you feel like you're in the product, but you're actually not, you're being asked to now go connect some other stuff. Sure. So you yeah. don't even know like why. And we, we adjusted the process quite a bit to smooth that out, make it way more clear, like, okay, like here's what's happening next. And then also just make it infinitely faster to actually go through this process. And I like really pushed for, let's like take it out completely. Like, why do they have to connect? Why can't we just put them in a product with like dummy data or like whatever it is? Um, Future experiment, still working on that one. (laughs) But there were lots of things that we smoothed out on the activation side. And also we went through several versions of onboarding emails because um, 
what we were touting before in the emails didn't match at all what was on the website. And on top of that, things were kind of out of order. Like it was, it was just interesting because, because, you know, this is like Airbnb is like the primary channel in this world. But the very first email we sent them was about booking.com. Like it was like stuff like that, that just didn't quite match up. And on top of that, onboarding emails and the onboarding experience in general should be about getting the customer to value as fast as possible. So a lot of our work became about, okay, how do we, like, uh, what are the experiments and projects we got to run to, like, get people to value quickly and not waste any time and make it really clear what they've got to go and do. There's also a lot of operational cleanup. This wasn't necessarily um, anything that, like, I specifically recommended or my team recommended, but they did a lot of work on the product side. Of course, like, product development did not stop. And they also overhauled a lot of their... Uh, product marketing materials, everything from like help documentation to support documentation. Um, they put in a lot of time and effort and just hard thinking about about how to get that together. That improved adoption and activation rates also pretty substantially. Um, but yeah. Now, when you are, this is incredible. Uh, this is, yeah, so, so interesting. When, when you're looking at um, improving some of the onboarding or some of the activation steps that you're looking at, does this begin for you like, um, again, from like a benchmark of like, hey, you're lower than industry standard and then you're kind of uh, floating out some hypothesis of like what might like some some possible experiments that might fix it and you're going to test what sticks. Is, is it more data driven than that or is it, I guess I'm getting at like how do you, um, these ideas seem so uh, smart common sense like you went in and you're just a smart marketer who observed like you know basic human behavior how you interact with products you you went in and you're like okay this seems wonky let's try this which seems more or or is it like a, a bit more complicated than that like i'm thinking about for <laughs> listeners who feel like okay yeah we're, we're you know we're low on the benchmarks of like activation or we're having trouble with getting onboarding going um how would they be able to emulate some of these experiments, you know, that, that you've done? Or is it just like having that common sense approach of like, hey, why are you making them connect to these integrations before they even get in the product? Um, or like, I guess because what I'm, th what I'm, I'll, I'll give you, uh, I'll, what's the, what's the term you used of like, not a feature, but floating out the, um, uh, when people make feature requests, I can't think of it now. What do you say? <laughs> uh, it, they request a feature, but you want to know like the what they're trying to do or whatever. Okay. The job. Yeah. The yeah. job. Okay. So the job of my, this, all this is to say, the job of my question is um, I'm trying to determine like, y this is a big overhaul for a lot of companies. Like they're going to invest like product resources. They're taking a big bet that you're right. So what is it that you're going in <laughs> with? It's like, is it just trust in, you know, in you and past results? Or is it like, no, we like we did these tests or we talked to customers and we knew this was the problem. Like, what is it that's instilling that <laughs> confidence in them? Sorry, that was like a, a four minute question, but uh, no, yeah. no, no, I love it. Uh, I was just thinking it's just because I'm so fly. Like, that's definitely it. No, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> no, it I mean, product analytics was the saving grace. So Amplitude is the is the product analytics platform that we use. And the way that I build arguments and cases for just about everything, I uh, obviously we do qualitative research, we talk to customers, but then we also have the quantitative side. And when those two things come together, that that usually both of those things coming together makes all of the argument. So I actually can't remember because it's been it's been a minute. I actually can't remember if this company had a healthy activation rate or not. Um, for me, what I was looking at was despite the activation rate, they had a massive drop off of people starting the trial or like um, technically the trial starts after after like they get into the product for us at least. But when they complete the sign up form to actually getting to the product, massive drop off. It was like huge. It was like 80 percent. Like it was something ridiculous. And uh, we are we are tracking every single step of the funnel of the sign up flow, and I was I was building a lot of argument and cases around. Gosh, like we're losing tons of people just in this one step, let alone like actually becoming a paying customer. That was another very big drop off. And so what was interesting was we were seeing trials and traffic tick up, but customers weren't necessarily ticking up at the same rate, and. A lot of the effort that that I kind of came into it strategically, I mean, it really it started with a combination of of talking to customers and kind of hearing like their pains around 
just getting into the product and like understanding it all the way down to but the numbers are actually showing this too and the funnel is showing like where the drop off is and the tricky part about I think benchmarks and this is kind of where I was like they're benchmarks is it's easy to accept them as like the ceiling but benchmarks are actually just really averages sometimes I mean sometimes they're medians but mostly they're averages it's looking at tons of different companies across tons of different markets and blah 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 um I always encourage companies to say, if there's a growth lever for us to pull, let's not accept what's here as the ceiling. Let's accept it as a new baseline. And now we get to ideate and experiment and think up new ways, dream up new ways to increase this. Sometimes those are short-term projects, but a lot of the time they're long-term projects. I mean, I've been working with this company for almost almost three years. I, technically next year, which isn't that far away, will be three years, which is pretty wild. Wow. Um, but of course, there's always new challenges, new things to come up, you know, and like dream up and experiment with. Uh, and until they get a full time marketing team, like we we will likely still continue to be that growth consultancy um, slash like marketing uh, resource for them in the meantime. But but yeah, it really did start, though, with KPIs and, of course, like actually talking to customers and hearing how they get on board and how they think about things. There's also, too, like there were internal challenges as well. Um, like they they uh, the sales team was getting put on deals and opportunities that were relatively like low ACV. And one of the big questions strategically was how do we get more customers to be more product led that are lower value and the ones that are higher value, monetarily speaking, at least. Um, those are the ones that need to get put on the sales team's plate. And so how can we like prevent that from happening? Because um, smaller customers were booking demos with with you know the sales team. And it's like, like you've got two properties. Like <laughs> you're probably not to, not to say that they are not like we don't need them. We need those customers. Right, right. But they probably don't need to talk to a person. Um, the marketing just needs to get better is really what needs to ha- And also the product marketing both really need to improve. Yeah. Um, and, and product itself needs to have a uh, more conducive experience to converting more customers. Um, but yes. The thing I love about hearing a story like this, because um, I think what you've painted like really beautifully illustrates how holistic it is, like how all the parts need to work together and how all the water rises together with this. Like you couldn't, you couldn't do any of the messaging updates or positioning updates without talking to customers but then you also couldn't like just make promises on the homepage and the ad copy that like then you, they got into a difficulty like, oh, we have your back and we're innovative. And then like we have a cool, sexy new like homepage or website. But um, but then like the product seems clunky and unintuitive, you know, and things like that. And then like or onboarding is like, wait, what? Like, you know, e- even things as small that make such a big impact on like, wait, what? Why is booking.com the first thing that you're sending us? Like er- the, like the thing 90% of us care about is Airbnb. Like that should be the first email we see. So it just it it's really cool to hear how this all fits together. Um, I've gotten to talk to people that, you know, focus are, are specialists in driving demand through certain channels and different things. It's cool to talk to someone who's like holistically guiding people through it because um, that's what most internal marketing teams are trying to do, like, you know, what what you're trying to do. So um, I could probably talk to you for like two more hours. Um, I know you need to get out of here soon. So um, we talked about the one result that you saw, uh, t- you know, 10xing MRR, uh, first 4x and a 6x increase or lift. Um, what else? I know you mentioned you saw an impact in like a lift in traffic and uh, a homepage conversion improvement. Can you like briefly talk about those? Yeah. Okay. So over over the course of the two years, traffic has steadily grown. I wouldn't say there was like a big like, oh, like we're getting tons of traffic now. Uh, it was really more uh, testing and iteration on various channels and also, of course, word of mouth. Um, one thing that this company does amazing at without like totally like outside of demand maven is, um, they just do great customer marketing in general and they, um, they've always cultivated their, like, you know, their communities, um, anytime new content launched, it was something that we would focus pretty heavily on distributing. And, um, there were also just, there was an, there was an uptick in, um, the CEO participating in more conferences and podcasts and just like other like external marketing activities in general. So we saw we saw traffic do like its slow increase, but really it was I would say the overhaul of the website that 
dramatically changed how many customers or trialists we were actually getting from people coming to the website and landing. And um, I'm, I don't want to I don't want to say that, like, changing your website is the magic wand. But for us, like it kind of in a way, it kind of was. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I really like just standing out from other competitors and also speaking directly to the problems and the pains that uh, customers, buyers who had at the time when they were like, you know, considering and comparing and contrasting uh, my client's product stuck out. And that was that was enough to get them to try it first. And we had heard a million times over that our product was the product that they tried last. Uh, but because they had they had experience with two or three others, they, they usually wouldn't pick us first. Um, this time we were like, what if we were the first product that people tried? And with that mindset, that's that's basically like how we how we thought about it. But um, but yeah, traffic I would say grew. Like it wasn't like a it wasn't like a two x thing like overnight. It was you know it was like a small like I think we grew like ten to thirty percent month over month. Um, but it was I it was really website conversion rate that doubled if I'm not mistaken. Wow. And that was that was enough to to start really setting the stage for growth. That's amazing. Uh, wow. This has been awesome. Asia, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we might have to have you back for like a second <laughs> one to address like churn or another story, you know, that you've gone on. This is, this has been awesome. Um, uh, listeners go hire Asia. Where can they go hire you? And then where do you want them <laughs> to follow you on social? Yeah. Okay. So you can, you can learn more about demand Maven at demandmaven.io. And uh, you'll see you'll see me there, all the services and things that we do and what we offer. And then for me, so if you just want to keep, uh, keep up with me, um, LinkedIn is a great place, but Twitter is honestly the best. I am at Asia Arangio on Twitter. And sometimes I tweet the spicy hot takes. Um, I like to I like to participate in the community quite a lot on the SaaS side. So please come give me a shout out there. And um, and yeah, looking forward to, to meeting some of y'all. Awesome. Thanks again for coming on. Yes, thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox free at databox.com.